Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. What am I going to do with Edward Isaac Dover? He's got a best-selling book on his hands. It is called Battle for the Soul inside the Democrats' campaigns to defeat Trump. The good news is the book's great. I loved it. People who listen to my radio program will love this manuscript. It's right in all of our wheelhouse. The problem is Isaac's been everywhere. Everybody everybody has already interviewed him about the book. Like, what is left for me to do with this man? This is Isaac Dover. Hi, Isaac. Hi, how are you? I, I, I think you'll be able to get to places that others haven't. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. Huh. Let's see. Let's see. Because what I would like to do is I would like to test you on how well you know your book. And as you will soon learn, there's a common theme to my questioning. Are you ready? Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe I should have reread it last night. <laughs> so what we're going to play specifically is who said this and why. All right. Entry, <laughs> entry number one. I didn't think it'd be this bad. I didn't think we'd have a racist, sexist pig. Can you believe this? That fucking lunatic. 
Who said it and why? Uh, That's Barack Obama speaking privately to people over the Trump years. Uh, One of the things that this book really tries to do is give you a window into what was going on with people that you know very well, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, on and on, Pete Buttigieg, uh, and use that as a way of telling the story of what was happening in the Democratic Party uh, and in our politics in, in ways that no, go beyond what you were seeing when they would stand in front of the camera. And Obama had this idea that he needed to not trigger Trump and not give Trump fodder to make a, the political conversation about the fight between Obama and Trump. And that gave everyone the idea that Obama was sort of detached and not paying attention to things. Uh, he was very careful. He knows that when he says things, people are going to pay attention to them and that they'll make news. But he was watching a lot of what was happening during the Trump years. And and like a lot of people, certainly a lot of Democrats, was pretty upset by it. And uh, one of the the quote that you pulled there uh, is from donors and other people close to him who would like try, push him, come on, say something, tell us something about Trump. And he would (laughs) uh, eventually give in a little bit. Still not saying much, but there are uh, the, the snippets that I got at through the book. I'll tell you, look, as a reporter, it's great when uh, you get uh, somebody cursing, a politician cursing, because it's always fun and juicy. But I do think that oh. it's also great because it's it gives you really the, the feeling that they, they have, the, the unvarnished well, then, feeling. Then let us continue with entry number two. <laughs> now, I've been advised right. not to try and impact the intonation, so I'm going to just... <laughs> Read it in a straightforward fashion. I can't believe that motherfucker won. That motherfucker really won. Who said it and why? I'm glad, by the way, that uh, I don't have to worry about getting bleeped, Michael, that you're doing it all for There's me. no bleeping. Uh, it's, it's, ser- it's serious XM, and we love I know. it. Who said it? Uh, that that's Kamala Harris. That's Kamala Harris on election night 2016. Uh, she has... Uh, been elected to the Senate for so she's just won her Senate seat in 2016. Of course, is in California, and so uh, behind where most of the election results were coming in. Uh, by the time that her race was officially called for her, Trump was clearly going to be the president. And what uh, <laughs> your advice about the intonation, I think, it, it w- was good. Uh, but one of the things that I get in the book is that word motherfucker is a very uh, it's a favorite word of Harris uh, and she in, will correct people if they say it with the R's if you say motherfucker <laughs> she will say no you gotta not have the R's there and so like she, it's not she uses it uh, a lot not just about Trump but it was just again getting at this uh, she, she ended up giving a speech that night at her uh, election night party uh, to, that was to people who were excited she won but uh not so happy that Trump won. And uh, she gave a very high-minded speech. But behind the scenes, yeah, she was like, I can't believe that this happened, right? And again, the motherfucker gets at, um, at her real feelings about what was going on. Shall we continue? Let's do it. Entry number three. Well, that was some fucking bullshit. Uh, that's Joe Biden, uh, and that's Joe Biden responding the to Kamala of the Harris. United States. Right? <laughs> um, that's a moment uh, from that the first primary debate between Harris and Biden when she went after him about his record on busing and said to him, "I know you're not a racist, but uh, and one of the things that uh, is in the book is you see 
all of the preparations that were going on uh, for her campaign as they worked out what she was going to say and how exactly she was going to attack Biden and to say, you are not a racist and, and worry that maybe that was going a little too far or was it the way to not call him a racist? But to Biden, it felt like uh, she was calling him a racist and she was making an unfair attack. And so that happens. He defends himself. And then as they're going into the commercial break, he turns to Pete Buttigieg, who's just at the, the podium next to him. Didn't know Buttigieg very well, uh, but was just so annoyed about what had happened that, yes, he, he said, that was some fucking bullshit. And, and Buttigieg, by the way, again, didn't know Biden. And not, he was like, whoa. <laughs> I think that was the part of it that surprised me the most. Like, I'm not surprised that that was Joe's response to Kamala Harris and the attempted takedown over busing, but that he would have said it to Mayor Pete, except I guess he's standing next to Pete. To whom else is he going to say it? That, and that's what it is. It's not like he was specifically confiding in Buttigieg. It's that Buttigieg was the guy next to him. Uh, continuing on with entry number four. By the way, I have page numbers in case Isaac was pushing back on any of these. I wanted to make sure I could say, well, that came from page 191. And this comes from page 197. So here we are. Quote, with what he cares about, what he fights for, what he's committed to, you get up there and call him a racist without basis? Go fuck yourself. Who would that be? <laughs> that's Jill Biden. Uh, ah, Jill Biden. Uh, I see. Philly yes, girl. Um, Philly girl. Uh, as I point out in the in the book, uh, that's her reacting a couple days after the debate still to what happened and and uh, uh, showing to, to a, a, on a phone call with some supporters, uh, showing just how upset she was and everybody around Biden was for a long time about what happened at that debate. Uh, and uh, yeah, look, there, there's a story in the book there that uh, she likes to tell sometimes of a, a bully in the neighborhood when she was a kid. Uh, and her response was that she eventually marched over to uh, the house of the, the bully, uh, knocks on the door, he opens the door and she just whacks him right in the face uh, and turns around and leaves. I think I mean, Jill Biden is a very elegant first lady and you know, with the designer dresses and everything, uh, but, uh, you don't have to uh, peel too much uh, away to get to that Philly girl underneath. This may be my favorite, but this is number five out of five. By the way, I could All have right. 50 out of 50, but, you know, there's only so much of, of Isaac's book I can promote for him. Uh, first, I'll give you the truncated version. And I, I, I am I am going to say it with with a little vernacular in this case. Fuck me. No, fuck you. Quote, he'd snap back at anyone who attacked him. Fuck me. No, fuck you is how one aide described it. But he didn't like throwing the first punch. Who are we talking about? Bernie Sanders. Uh, and uh, that that I think uh, <laughs> sums up a lot of how he goes about these things. Sanders uh, believes that he is entitled to. Uh, a lot of respect, uh, and, uh, and it's hard to argue with that, right? Um, given how well he did in 2016 and 2020. Uh, but his general sense of political attacks, he doesn't really like getting into the back and forth of politics. He doesn't like going negative. It's not his way of doing it, but he is uh, very much uh, ready to fire back if somebody comes at him. And if you go and look even uh, at the beginning of his race against Hillary Clinton, when he came into it, he was talking about uh, her uh, difference, differences that he had with her over policy and, and uh, things that he wanted to do. It wasn't uh, 
as personal a, a battle as it became. And he looks at it and he says, she started coming after me. So I snapped back. I'll, I'll fight right back. Uh, and that is, I think, important because when you look at what happened in the race in 2020, one of the big differences is that uh, no one went at Sanders personally uh, among the other candidates in the way that Hillary Clinton did. Most importantly, Joe Biden didn't. And Joe Biden was very careful throughout to have a good relationship with Bernie Sanders. They had been sort of amiable, friendly from a little bit of overlap in the Senate uh, and just uh, being around in DC. Uh, and Biden made sure to keep that relationship good. Sanders had a respect for Biden. He said, look, I don't agree with him on policy issues, but he, he seems to have a, an interest in appealing to a lot of the, the voters that I want to appeal to and, and doing things for those people, the people who are working class, middle class. Uh, and uh, he saw Biden as really committed to that authentically. But when it came time for the nomination to wrap up in the spring of last year, uh, even though it disappeared, and, and I track this in the book, how quickly it slipped through the fingers of, of Sanders. There, there was about a week when it, everybody was absolutely sure he was going to be the nominee right before the South Carolina primary. Okay, I want to actually, and, yeah. actually, that that is the one non-expletive subject that I want to pursue okay. with you. Because <laughs> you, said, you said this, page 296, quote, Nevada was February 22nd. South Carolina was February 29. Sanders had to keep it together for only a week and he'd probably be the nominee. And what I'm most interested in is the dynamic between Sanders and Warren. And let's just remember, let's just remind everybody, Isaac, what went on. So the Iowa caucus is February 3rd. It is made Mayor Pete by a whisker over Bernie mm -hmm followed by Warren, Biden in fourth, then Klobuchar. Now comes the New Hampshire primary. It's February 11. Bernie, followed by Mayor Pete, followed by Klobuchar, followed by Warren, followed by Biden in fifth position. Now comes Nevada on the 22nd. It's Bernie, Biden, Buttigieg, Warren is in fourth position, all setting up South Carolina. And of course, that's when when Joe has his Rocky like comeback. But my point is, Warren has done terribly so far. They are clearly fighting for the same vote. Isn't it a fair question to say if she's really that progressive champion and on the issues closest to Bernie, then why didn't she get out of his path? And certainly, if you talk to Bernie Sanders and people who worked on his campaign and a lot of his supporters, that's exactly the point that they would make, uh, that Warren, uh, had she not been on the in the race on Super Tuesday, uh, still, it is almost impossible uh, that uh, things would have gone as well for Biden, that some of those votes wouldn't have gone for Sanders. And in fact, going into South Carolina, one of the factors was that Bernie Sanders really wanted Jesse Jackson to endorse him, which would have been helpful in South Carolina. Huge black uh, part, uh, a huge part of the electorate is black voters. Uh, Jesse Jackson, popular there, uh, you know, from his own presidential runs. Uh, and Jackson said uh, to Bernie Sanders' campaign, "Look, I can't endorse when there's a choice here between uh, Sanders and Warren. So as long as she's in the race, I'm kind of stuck." She, when she dropped out, Jackson did eventually endorse Sanders. That was going on in other ways too. There, there were uh, 
women's groups who were frozen and, and thinking as long as Warren's in, I can't, we, we can't be there for Amy Klobuchar uh, or Elizabeth Warren. We can't, we have to, we can't choose. So Warren staying in, even though she was doing really badly, you know, that that's a real question. Of course, she wasn't doing as badly as Joe Biden was, and Joe Biden stayed in the race, too. And well, but, so, Isaac, so, uh, but, but Isaac, the, the timeline to remind everybody. So February 29 was South Carolina, and now Joe wins, and it's it's Biden, Bernie, Steyer, Buttigieg, and Warren. Warren is now in fifth place. Mayor Pete gets out. Klobuchar gets out. They both endorse Biden, and now comes March the 3rd, which was Super Tuesday. Yeah. I have a question for you. Did you uncover any evidence of of Obama or some other major leaders in the party going to Pete, going to Klobuchar and saying, hey, you got to get out of this or it's going to be Bernie and Bernie will lose? So it, there, there's a lot of conspiracy thinking that was afoot that, that, that something like that had happened. I, I looked into it a lot. It didn't happen quite like that. Obama did call Buttigieg and does it, he did this thing that he does often where it's like he's trying to do like Jedi mind control uh, and trying to get Buttigieg to see that he should drop out and uh, and that uh, think about who sh- who whom he should endorse. And of course, at that point, it seemed like it was going to be Biden, right? Uh, and Buttigieg says to him, like Buttigieg gets it, he understands what's going on. He says, "Look, I'm going to sleep on it." And, and on the, this is the Sunday night, so the day after the South Carolina primary, uh, and uh, and after Buttigieg has dropped out, and he says, "I'll, I'll make a decision in the morning." Uh, but I think it, it, this was a case where there was a lot of uh, feeling among Democratic leaders of not wanting to uh, Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, and they they themselves saw where it was going. And so when Klobuchar decides to drop out, it's not even a question for her of what do you do, right? Like the the, the uh, presidential candidates often say that the uh, day the best days of your presidential campaign are the day you announce and the day you drop out. Those also tend to be the days when you have the most power uh, in in an election. And so Klobuchar knew that she could really do something for Biden, uh, in part just because the Minnesota primary was on Super Tuesday, uh, and so she could have power there. But right. in part she because fin- she was finally going to get a win, theoretically. Yeah, and, and you know that win would have been like when John Kasich won Ohio in the 2016 Republican primary. It's like great, but it wouldn't have done anything to change it. It would have just taken a few delegates uh, out of the Sanders Biden contest, and I mean- so yeah. What I what I come away from your book, by the way, Battle for the Soul is the book. Uh, I come away saying that Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar got out just in the nick of time to save the ship for Biden. And similarly, Warren stayed in for similar purpose. That's my that's my theory. And I'm sticking to it. A final question for you. And I'm not I'm not giving it I'm not giving it all away for free. But one nugget really impressed me. Uh, in the book that you had, it sounds as if before the field was all put together and and before he knew that Biden was really going to take a shot, that Barack Obama had a favored candidate and it was none of the above. It was Admiral McRaven. Can you speak to that? Yeah, he like a lot of people he was looking at 
who could run in 2020. And there's a, 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 one of the conversations that I get out in the book is he's on a plane with a couple of his aides coming uh, back from a Christmas party in December, 2017. And he says, listen, let's play it this way. Who do you want in your head? Who do you want in your heart? And who do you think could win? And his choices are uh, in his he- in his heart, it's it's Biden because he loves Biden. Um, but in his head, it's Bill McRaven, the the commander of the Navy SEAL raid that, that killed Bin Laden. Uh, and why there was this feeling of maybe the right palate cleanser for uh, going up against Trump is someone who'd be coming in from the military and somebody who'd be a, a statesman in a very different way, that there was a need for something else from the normal politician. Of course, Joe Biden, whatever else you want to say about him, he's been in politics for 50 years. It's a very different way of going about things than McRaven would have had. I should say Obama wasn't the only one that I heard this out of uh, around mm-hmm. that time. Uh, there were a couple of people who were like, hey, McRaven. Um, and he had moved to Texas uh, to uh, go uh, be the chancellor of university there. Uh, and that it had some health problems. And I, I, don't, I don't think he was ever all that interested in running himself, but he had also started, published uh, an op-ed um, and done some speaking about how Trump wasn't doing right by the media and, and all these things. It, McRaven is clearly somebody who thinks seriously about a lot of issues about America, not just about being the commander of Navy SEALs. Well, and I, I don't think McRaven would have made my list if he had been running my list at the outset of this interview is what I'm referring to. Okay. <laughs> Isaac, I wish you all good things with the book. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Isaac Dover's book is called battle for the soul battle for the soul. And I will be back uh, to talk more about that and other subjects in just a moment. I think I added a little value there, TC. Do you think that I was able to Come, come at think? it from a, from a different angle. <laughs> you think? Do you think? I, I, I think you, yes. Yes. Do you, do, you think I, that, do you think that Woody and Helen are apoplectic? I think they're appalled. No. I think that they're. Pastor Greg. Here's what I think. I think they're interested. That's what they are. My favorite part of it is how Isaac just absolutely went well, along. He knew his book. Well, he definitely knew his book. Dan asked me mid-interview, did you give him the heads up? I said, nope. <laughs> Well, I mean what I said. I know. I, I took his book to North Carolina with me this week. Right. Okay, this was what I read on the plane to and fro. And as I'm reading it, I'm saying to myself, first of all, Isaac's been all over the place. He's a great radio guest. Tremendous. I want to I do right by right. him. But but what am I going to do? And then, right. like, all of these stories have cussing in them. <laughs> the, F, the F-bomb is not even a bomb. It's ubiquitous. Right. And when Spelled I... Spelled and used all different ways. When I get to the part where Kamala Harris objects when people throw in the r hysterical as in you know then i'm like okay that's it i this is my angle this is the angle you're always you're all about angles michael content and angles and nuance yes yeah there's a lot of nuance there hear more of michael smirconish on sirius xm's potus channel 124 live weekdays from 9 a.m to noon east or anytime on the sirius xm app connect with michael on facebook twitter youtube and at smirconish.com book club with michael smirconish new episodes drop tuesdays and fridays i'm roman mars host of 99 invisible i'm excited to be teaming up with lexus gx and sirius xm on some very special 99 pi episodes we're heading to some of the cities in the u.s that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function to learn more about the lexus gx and sirius xm and lexus vehicles visit lexus.com gx and SiriusXM.com slash lexus trial the all-new lexus gx live up to it check out the 99 invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.